Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're going to be talking about Hawkeye Episode 3 and what all of you guys have been saying about it. All that right for this ad we have no control over. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll, and joining me today, over the magic of the internet, is Jay Scotty St. Clair. How you doing, Jay Scotty? Doing well, doing well. I always appreciate the invite to be on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. For thanks, So thank you for having me back. Dude, we appreciate you joining us uh, uh, again. Uh, Jay Scotty's from the Animation Deliberation podcast, and uh, yeah, here on the Stranded Panda Network. So check his show out. Um, they, they, they cover a lot of the Marvel animation as well as all kinds of other stuff. That's great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we're going to get into Hawkeye feedback. Uh, we actually all met up. Some of us, uh, hosts of the Stranded Panda verse met up in Vegas this week. So, uh, we, we just got done with, we, we, you just left Vegas, Jay Scotty, and I am still in Vegas. Correct. Correct. So we're kind of in that, uh, speaking of animated series, anybody that watched what if we had that great, party Thor episode that took place in Vegas. So kind of, kind of <laughs> feeling like party Thor right about now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. At least I'm feeling the, my, my brain feels like the world looked at the end of party Thor's episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things are looking animated when they should not be. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's get to it. Jace guy. Thank you for joining us for real. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know Jeff, Jeff and Ashley are still literally in the air, I think like getting home. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be doing this thing. They're in the um, air and so, we're on the air. Yeah. <laughs> well done. That's, that's a true Jay Scotty ism right there. You know, it. you know, it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fear Mjolnir, one of our patrons says, Hey guys. So I just got a quick feedback after watching the first two episodes of Hawkeye again, but has anybody thought that Eleanor killed the father? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, just a theory, but they were fighting and they were both disappeared and suddenly the dad's dead in quotation marks and mom is now rich with her own company and rich fiance. Just a theory. Haven't heard anyone mention yet. Thanks, Matt, Jeff, and Ashley. Hmm. What do you think, Jay Scotty? Uh, I do not think Fear Mjolnir is alone in thinking that Eleanor is definitely suspect. I think even on the cast, you guys have uh, mentioned the fact that she might be um, a character like Madame Mask. But yeah, I I definitely had those questions as well. Just, you know, you saw the argument that was taking place between uh, Kate's mother, Eleanor, and her her biological father at the beginning of the first episode. And uh, I think you guys even mentioned the fact that, yeah, while they were discussing ha- having to possibly sell the house that he grew up in, suddenly when he's out of the picture, even though it sustained like significant damage, everything seems to be a okay. So Eleanor definitely seems like a woman that um, is very capable of taking care of herself. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's actually playing, playing Jack and not the other way around. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think that the, Eleanor is definitely suspect. There's a couple things. There's two big arguments in the first two episodes. In the, I think it's in the, both in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And both of those people end up dead after arguing with Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> Ar- Armand, or Ar- what's, what's, is not Ar- Armand, yes. Yes. Armand is arguing with her and he ends up dead at the end of the episode. And yes, uh, the father in, is arguing with her and then moments later he's gone. Um, there's also a great line. I, I love this line because I think it's like foreshadowing of what's to come. 
uh, in that first moments, uh, the, he, she's saying there's something will happen. We'll figure this thing out. We're going to keep, be able to keep this house. And, uh, the father says, listen, solutions don't just fall out of the sky. And, uh, mm. the, the next scene is, is the Chitauri literally falling out of the sky. And so I think what we're going to get is some sort of, she somehow used this attack, which we know that she's running the security company. Right. I'm assuming she's somehow running security, uh, which we, we've talked about the possible Kingpin connections. Right. Well, like we know from that, the, the daredevil show, the very first thing we find out Kingpin was doing was he was, uh, taking insurance claim money from all the repair work that needed to be done after the Chitauri invasion. So like, I think it is very likely that her security company is doing something very similar. And like, that was the solution that saved their security company that was able to keep her rich or make her rich, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that totally stands the reason. Yeah. Whether she killed the husband, I just don't know. It's it's possible. Yeah. I I think that all stands the reason we've got a lot of speculation out there about uh, Kingpin, as well as a lot of the characters from the daredevil uh, pantheon. Uh, Echo herself has a little power set that is very similar to daredevil. So um, as much as this could be kind of a backdoor way of introducing a lot of the daredevil characters, I do uh, agree with you wholeheartedly that Eleanor might be, you know, in bed with Kingpin or maybe a Kingpin type character of her own. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, and then that's the thing is like, there's a lot of speculation about Kingpin. I actually, I totally miss the uncle stuff when I, on my initial watch, but mm. on the subsequent watch, you know, there, there's that whole entire scene. I, it was actually, it's funny because for once I wasn't on the podcast last week and I got to just like watch it. Not really as critically. I was kind of like watching it just for fun. And then I got to listen to the podcast. Um, and th- they were talking about it last week and, uh, they actually alerted me to the fact that that whole uncle scene happened, uh, in the dojo or whatever. Right. Or when you see, when you see, uh, the white suit, you see the big thick hand. Um, it, it, it seems like it is very possible. We're looking at Kingpin here. So what does it mean? The tracksuit mafia comes in and breaks into this, what looks like an underground art auction, right? Correct. Inside yeah. of the building that Eleanor is running this event. So it seems that that is Eleanor's event, mm-hmm. which would, would stand to reason that the tracksuit mafia who is attacking would be against Eleanor. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like there, they would be antagonists to one another. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if Echo is running the tracksuit mafia and is connected to her uncle, the Kingpin, it could be that she is sort of like another force that arose after the Chari invasion. And maybe they're both sort of Kingpin and another gangster head of, head of another gangster army family, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That, that could be interesting. We might be seeing like a proto Kingpin. We've always kind of seen Kingpin when he's, already in that place, but it would be kind of interesting to see him actually have to, you know, duke it out with another potential uh, head of crime and actually solidify his place as the kingpin. I feel like we did see that in daredevil Mm. on a lower level though. You know, um, in daredevil, he starts out, he's at that meeting with like six of other people and he, Oh no, he's not at the meeting. It's like, he's, he's the mysterious guy who won't come, but they all sort of consider, they don't consider him their boss. They consider him just another player. But by the end of season one of daredevil, he's taken out all the other players and he's, 
right. takes out the Russians, and then he becomes the kingpin. Yeah, yeah. But that's you know, sort of the kingpin of that small area of Hell's Kitchen. Like, what if now he has even higher aspirations than, like, Eleanor is someone who's standing in his way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of higher aspirations, you mentioned the fact that Eleanor called out the fact that the, you know, Chitauri evasion solutions don't just fall from the sky. If we really want to, like, you know, place some responsibility or feet or, you know, uh, up the ante of what she's capable of, maybe she had some way of ensuring that the Chitauri actually targeted their house or something like that. <laughs> that is, uh, that, that's interesting, but I think that might be, uh, that, that's, that's a wild theory. I like it. I like it. But, too far uh, out there. <laughs> I think it might be too far out there. It seems that she, took she it seems like she was someone who was like about to her life's falling apart she's trying to hold on to this life she's built for herself she says that line to kate um she says you know if you're young and you're rich are two things that make you feel invincible Mm -hmm. and i think that she was not rich when she was young is what Uh, i took from that yeah agreed yeah. Because like she's she she knows what it is to be fearful and not feel invincible. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to feel that again. And I think when she found out they're having to sell the house, there's this sort of like panic and she's fighting with her husband about it. And then whether whether she killed him or he died, uh, you know, she took this opportunity of the Chitauri invasion to like level herself up into this boss. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Doesn't need to be too far out there to be to be gripping character development. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. No, I, I actually really want to see her I would I'd prefer it if she was totally just like a normal housewife at that point. <laughs> yeah. And then we kinda get to see how she like yeah, you know, used leveraged her power and, and status and money and company to like uh make things happen because she felt like she had to in those moments, you know? Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, let's see what's up next. Mm -hmm. Next up, we've got another patron. Morgan Floyd says, Loved Hawkeye. Loved the Battle of New York scene. Made me cry. Not because it was sad, but because it was that good. When I saw my brother the next day, he asked what I thought, and I said I loved it. But the only thing I didn't like was, where in the world did Kate learn to fight like that? I said, she just put the Ronin suit on, and she's miraculously able to fight off all of those men. He told me about her being a champion in martial arts. I had missed that somehow. So I began to feel stupid for not liking that. But I still silently in my head was thinking how it didn't matter. I was just not sold that she would not be able to fight like that in non-competition aspect. So I was glad to hear Jeff agree that he was bothered by this as well. Keep it up, y'all. Morgan. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Jeff definitely felt the same way. I didn't feel that way. I felt like... um you know, it, it, it worked for me mostly because a lot of the stuff she does, there's a, there's still a lot of like hesitance and mm-hmm. stakes in her fighting in that totally. scene. It's not like she still does beat up a bunch of dudes. And so it's like, yeah, is it believable? Is it not? She still ends up like for all intents and purposes, just running from them, you know? Yeah. Um, she takes out a couple guys when they're not expecting her. And then once they've kind of honed in on her, she just has to run and ends up in a car being like, you know, completely surrounded. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't think that the show leaned into like overpowering her too much. They almost use it as like, um, as great as the action was, it became kind of slapsticky in some ways, especially when she started using the wine bottles and whatnot. So, right. It's also as much as it's setting up her to be a badass, mm-hmm. it's also setting up the tracksuit mafia to not be. Very bad at. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty much just cannon fodder outside of a couple of them. Um, you know, he's 
see in the, uh, the next episode, uh, episode three, when she's uh, handcuffed and gagged there with Clint, and you have the one that starts to like talk to her about his girlfriend problems and whatnot. He bought Imagine Dragon tickets and whatnot. So yeah, they're, they're just total goofballs. Yeah. <laughs> I love Imagine Dragons. <laughs> exactly. Such a great line. So good. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's hit this next one. We got another patron, Tim Brown. Just an FYI, unless it was changed off screen, Hawkeye lives off the grid. Except for Fury and Black Widow and then the Avengers in Age of Ultron, nobody really knows where he is. I guess we could assume certain government people might know uh, where he is since he made a deal uh, to not be a superhero anymore and go along with the Accords, but even that wouldn't be public knowledge. It was even established back in Age of Ultron that nobody even knew he was married, so there's no way Darcy or anybody else could get a hold of Clint, even if they wanted to, unless they literally just bumped into him. Mm. This is good. I like this. Yeah. This is like a, correcting that issue we were talking about. Like, I think, uh, Ashley was asking, like, why wasn't he there for Wanda? You know? Yeah, that's fair. Totally. And we don't know. There's a couple people wrote in about uh, similar stuff uh, with that. So we'll get to more of those. But, uh, this is good headcanon, if nothing else. Like, yeah. he's off the grid. Not even really headcanon. It's right there. He's, yeah. he's off the grid. Yeah. The one little thing I might add to that is the show is highlighted on it just a little bit with like, like nods and here and there, but, Clint is very much, you know, still mourning the loss of of Natasha just as much as, you know, Wanda was mourning the loss of Vision in, in her series. So he has to mourn that loss with his family as well because they all knew Natasha. Even his youngest son is named after her. So it makes total sense that he is just not on the scene at all anymore. And the only thing that really brings him back into the fold is having to pay for those sins that he committed as Ronan. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I mean, that's the thing is like, he signed up for the accords and said he would kind of like stop this life. True. Um, and so maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe like he's, maybe he's just not involved at all because he can't be legally. Um, but with this, uh, with this Ronan issue, he's like, I got to stop whoever's stupidly running around as Ronan. I made a lot of enemies. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's another good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, we just don't know what the timelines line up. This is supposed, somebody said two years after the snap back. And so uh, I think somewhere in here, they say something about two years. And that was just like immediately after end game. Um, and I'm assuming immediately after end game, he'd be like running home to his family and stuff. Uh, yeah. That would be my first assumption. Yeah. yeah. Huh. We'll have to wait till uh, Kevin Feige gives us a, an official update on the timeline. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Okay, uh, up next we have a voicemail. Here All right. we go. Hey, what's up, Ashley and the Jets? Hope you guys are doing great. Thanks so much, as always, for everything you guys do. It's a blast hanging out with you uh, virtually. Um, so I've got this kind of overriding uh, thought that's going to get to Hawkeye, I promise you, uh, in episode three. Um, after Eternals, uh, I read an article about what they saw as the MCU's great overlighting, overriding trope, um, even kind of a theme of the MCU, which I hadn't really considered. And it's basically that authority will always be misused. Um, and the kind of pithy, maybe more, you know, intimate way of saying that would be you can't trust dad. 
Um, so there's all these like less sinister motivations throughout the MCU of authority letting down the people that trust them. So like Nick Fury hiding phase two, Odin hiding Loki's past from him, T'Chaka uh, killing his brother and abandoning, you know, little nephew Eric. And then there's all the straight up like evil examples, right? So Ego, the Supreme Intelligence, Obadiah Stane, and then Thanos, the ultimate you can't trust dad, right? But then Eternals kind of took that up to a cosmic level, right? There's this cosmic authority, literally our creator, is actually, in real life, a self-preserving, lying, genocidal tyrant, right? Um, which I, I wasn't comfortable with. It was one of the reasons that Eternals was kind of meh, you know, on my MCU scale. Um, to be fair, though, there's a lot of, you know, at least a handful of good dad, I would say, good parent examples throughout the MCU. Scott Lang, obviously, um, in kind of a hilarious, twisted way, Yondu is a good dad in the end, you know. Um, but with Hawkeye, I realized with episode three that I'm putting a lot on Hawkeye to be a great dad. Um, I'm a father. I've got seven kids. Uh, so when he had his phone call with Nathaniel that Kate was kind of transcribing for him, it nearly broke me while watching over lunch alone at a Chick-fil-A because, uh, I could feel how much he loves his kids, how much he wants to be there with them, with them. And, um, I will be so desperately sad if he doesn't make it home for Christmas. Uh, not as sad as his kids, but really, really sad. Um, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Thanks so much. Uh, God bless you guys. Peace. Ooh, that is some interesting thoughts. Um, I like that as, as an overarching theme of the MCU authority. It's, it's basically the theme of power corrupting, right? Like, uh, absolute power always corrupts. Mm-hmm. But I think the caller here, uh, you you might be taking it too far. The don't trust dad of it all, I think, is more about like authorities, as in governments, rulers, people with power that is are being corrupted. I don't think that's Hawkeye. Like I don't think the don't trust dad moniker actually extends to fathers. <laughs> I think it's more of a, like I think it's more of a uh, an allegory for people in power. Sure. What do you think? Do you think Hawkeye is going to be a good dad here? Uh, that's that's a great question. You know, given the holiday setting, it is the race to get home for the holidays, and I think he's going to try his his darndest, and he's going to face a lot of obstacles along the way. But you know, given the slightly more light hearted nature of the show, I do think that they're going to give Hawkeye uh, what he deserves and have a nice family Christmas there. And I got to say, I am not the father of seven. I'm not the father of even a single one. And that scene nearly broke me. So yeah, uh, that scene was, that scene was very, very emotional. Um, Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, like just not being able to hear the child's voice, like his own hearing issue, like uh, interrupting his ability to communicate. And then I don't know, there's a lot of trust being built. Like it's making me choke up here. Yeah. Like, the uh the intense like panic on Hawkeye's face while he's trying to reach out to his son, trying to comfort his son, and at the same time, like Kate is understanding that and stepping in and trying to help him. And that I think that scene is like one of the biggest scenes of building trust between those two. Yeah. Uh because she's like doing something, really trying to help him on this really small level. You know, this isn't a let's fight the bad guys moment. This is a I just need to comfort my son moment. 
Mm. She knows how important that is. I, I think the one line from it that really kind of breaks me and kind of encaps- encapsulate what all three characters involved are going through is when his youngest son, Nate, says, you know, it's okay if you can't make it home for Christmas because that shows he's used to the disappointment but from past experiences. Um, Clint himself is used to being that disappointment. And then you, you talk about that trust and trust has been such a theme with Kate and Clint's relationship for her, you know, to establish that trust, uh, even though Nate doesn't know what's happening, just, you know, to be able to form that bridge for him. It's just uh, very, very heartfelt and uh, great stuff. I talk about the lighthearted, lighthearted nature of the show, but uh, that's definitely very powerful. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I kind of directly asked you, would he be a good father? This show is in many ways about work-life balance. Mm. Like it's about like Hawkeye has this thing that he's passionate about and he, he feels essential that he has to do, but he also like has a family and it's about trying to balance that like responsibility and love of your family with the responsibility and like, um, essential nature of the work that he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's so hard. It, like, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a freaking podcaster. <laughs> and like, <laughs> some, some days I, it's really hard for me to go like, um, put the podcast down and like, and, and focus on my relationship, you know, or sure. on, my, on my relationships with friends and my girlfriend and, uh, like sometimes it's hard. I, I'm like, Oh, well, I got to do this. I got to, this has got to get out today or this happens or <laughs> we'll be late. I mean, like right now we're like, we got this cause Hawkeye three comes out or Hawkeye four comes out tonight. So we got to do this feedback episode right now. Um, yeah. And it always, there's always this stuff under the gun and I'm a podcaster and I have a hard time with that balance. And I feel like anyone that loves what they do has a hard time with that balance. Um, but Hawkeye has the like world on his shoulders and like, what does it do to a regular human being with a family? Um, this is kind of the, this, this show is, is living up to the promise of what age of Ultron set up. The fact that Hawkeye does have a family, like, what does that mean? It's always been treated as a sort of fun background thing that, Oh yeah, he's a, he's a family man. Right. This is like the real nuts and bolts of what that means to be a family man. And also, be the only person with the skill set to save the world. <laughs> True. And, and, you know, following that through line there, the sins of Ronan would not exist if it were not for the love for his family. He would not have, you know, felt the need to commit those egregious acts if it were not mm. for the loss that he was suffering. So it all comes full circle and it's, it's really great stuff. So yeah. Well said. Oof, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a really good point. It's a really good point that like in many ways you could, point back to his family that is the cause of his, uh, you know, his indiscretions there, mm-hmm. his loss of his family and the, the, his love for his family and the loss of them is what drives him to this. It's, it's pretty, pretty insightful too, man. Oh mm-hmm. goodness. Okay. Uh, up next we have Gail Hartle road. Gail, <laughs> our good friend Gail, uh, wrote in to say, hello, Jeff and Matt. Uh, <laughs> who wasn't on the last cast. Uh, that's, that is me. I am sorry. I wasn't on the last cast. And Jeff is not on this one. Uh, but we're, we're, we're going to, I promise we'll all be back together soon. Um, regarding the Pym arrow and how Hawkeye got it. I cannot believe, uh, what I heard on the cast. Really? What makes most sense? What is the most logical answer? Hope Van Dyne. 
she worked at the company and now is presumably running or co-running it. Uh, she is one I consider in the science squad along with Tony, Bruce, a bit of Peter and Shuri. Uh, what surprised me most was that no one mentioned her at all, even with Melissa on the cast. <laughs> and I am not throwing shade at your girl. Uh, it, felt <laughs> miso- it felt misogynistic, um, which is definitely something I do not associate with this cast. So anyway, uh, there's my vote about the Pym Arrow. Uh, convince me otherwise. Uh, bless you, Jeff. Uh, in seeing the ball pit... I also shouted Bazinga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, uh, well, wh- I guess, uh, that is a, that is a great, that's a great theory. I like it. Absolutely could be hope. I, I, I don't know if the company still exists though. Ooh, yeah. Right? Pim Technologies, uh, yeah, as far as I know, at the end of Ant-Man, when the headquarters was destroyed, Darren Cross was still in control at that point. Right. Uh, well, my, th- my thing is thinking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh-huh. Like, they seem like they're just completely on the run. That's true. They seem like they're living out of a suitcase lab. Right. Instead of like having having a, a building that they can go to regularly or whatever. Hmm. But I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't know. We, we, we don't know enough about their world. I still think that Hope, Scott, or Hank, or Janet, like all of them have access to the PIM. Oh, sure. Yeah. And like any of them could have brought over, uh, gotten Hawkeye that arrow. And it's, hey, it's yeah. just super fun that he, that he has it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to take anything away from Gail's point there. I think Hope is a great answer and there's no reason it shouldn't be Hope. But just in terms of the relationships we have, uh, the interactions and relationships that we have seen on screen, you know, obviously uh, Scott and Clint got to have that great moment in Civil War when, you know, he climbs onto the air. He's like, all right, it's shooty guy. I'm ready. Fire away. <laughs> so even if True. Scott is the one that makes the introduction to, to hope, but uh, it, it, it's, it's a great point. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like, so most of them are gone for the five years. It, like you said, there's been a two year gap. It just could be anything like, all of those characters are back after mm-hmm. the game. So there's like, right. if, if, if the two years is correct, and I keep saying two years and I'm like, I'm trying to have a hard time. I remember someone says it on the, uh, on the episodes, right? Am I, am I totally crazy? Uh, I'm not remembering two years specifically sticking out to me, but I could be missing something there. Okay. It, I, I might, I might be crazy. I might be like conflating some conversation we had, but I, I thought this was two years after end game. Uh, and, and if it is, then like, there's just so much time <laughs> that like something could have happened there because now that the whole Pym tech crew are back, like all four of them. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. I also wasn't here for the conversation uh, between them that they were arguing about how he got the arrow. Well, to make a simultaneously serious and tongue in cheek point, the fact that a musical like Rogers exists and has been marketed and, and is on Broadway and whatnot, you'd think at least, um, a couple of years have probably passed. Possibly, except it, 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 as far as we know, that only goes to 2012. Well, I'm thinking in, in terms of like the world viewing Captain America as a war criminal. Like we even heard that in, in Homecoming and whatnot. He was still on the run in Infinity War and whatnot. So it would only be after the event of events of Endgame and whatnot when he 
brings everybody back and the Avengers are put back and, you know, in a, in a positive light and he kind of is redeemed in the public light, limelight in that regard. That is what would uh, allow for a musical about a war criminal to be out and about. Absolutely. It's absolutely possible. Or it was, it was like produced in like 2014 or 15, like shortly after the events of, and then, and then maybe shut down and then oh, okay. maybe, you know, okay. revived or something That's like fair. that. That was the only, the only issue with that is it has Ant-Man in it. So like mm. Ant-Man only really went public, but in, I don't, I don't even know what year, um, in the MCU, but Ant-Man's a little later. I love that scene so much. Yeah. I, I love it so, <laughs> yeah. so much. The Ant-Man jazz hands are great. <laughs> <laughs> that guy wasn't there. <laughs> Uh, Next piece of feedback comes from Riggs. Riggs says, Hey guys, this is Riggs, your Mohawks mechanic. And this message is for Ashley specifically. Dun, dun, dun. She asked why Barton wasn't helping Wanda. Because that took place right after Endgame and his wife and children had been gone for five years. No doubt he was putting his family back together and couldn't afford to bail. Again, immediately after they were blipped when it sounds like Sword is already all over this. If I were him, I'd let them do their own thing and check in afterwards. At least that's how I see it. Keep up the great work, all. Well, uh, unfortunately, we do not have Ashley here to respond specifically, but uh, we will do our best. <laughs> I think we we kind of uh, brought up some similar points ourselves earlier in just the discussion about... Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So yeah, I think Riggs' point is perfectly valid here. That like He is busy. He has his own stuff. And this is like... It's interesting... We haven't really seen it. I mean, we've seen Avengers movies where they come together and then we've seen subsequent films where they're apart, but it always seemed like the things are rolling forward. This kind of feels like there's no big threats, no big, big threats right now. It's Mm -hmm. like, what do the Avengers do after these big events happen? And they all sort of go into their separate lives. And, you know, there isn't the reason to call them all back together right away. Right. Um, We, I feel like we haven't seen that as much specifically in phase three or two or three because civil war happens and that sort of like drives the story forward. And they're sort of in clumps, you know, like the pro registration and anti-registration groups are sort of like, you know, stay, stay clumped together a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as, as much of as a team that they all are, especially when they all are able to come together there at Endgame, and we have the funeral for Tony Stark, you know, the last time before that, that we really saw them interacting, like you bring up the, the falling out in Civil War there. And even Clint's like, you know, uh, there's the futurist. He'll tell you what you need to do. So uh, as much as they love each other, I have to imagine it's kind of one of those things where they enjoy the time that they don't have to spend together because it's those times that they're spending together where things are the most dire in the world. So, you know, being threatened. They're not itching to, to actively spend time together as much as they may respect each other. Yeah. And you said they love each other. And I like, I think there's probably some of that with some of them, but like a lot of them are more like colleagues, you know, sure, uh, sure. It, it's like, it's like Tony says about uh, Dr. Strange. It's more of a professional courtesy. Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Clearly Tony and Cab have had their issues. I think they, it's, it's, it's really strange. Again, it's got me thinking about work-life balance and like this thing of like people you work with, people you love, people that are your family. Like these are kind of different roles, but like when something is so important to you and you're so passionate about something, the people that you work with on that thing, you want them to be people that you're like invest in and trust and like, uh, you know, uh, and that's, you know, it's that 
sometimes I think the Avengers need some good team building. They need trips to Vegas, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to like spend a little time together. And I guess we get a little of that in Age of Ultron with them at that party. But most of the time, right. it's like they're together because there's a battle to be fought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If what if taught us anything, we need more rebels. Need more rebels. Always need more rebels. <laughs> and next up, we've got Kyle S. Berkeley, and he says, Hey, all. I was checking out the first three episodes of Hawkeye, and I'm getting strong survivor's guilt and depression vibes from Clint, in contrast to PTSD. Also, the Pim Arrow. Love you all 3,000. Kyle S. Berkeley. <laughs> all right dr kyle s berkeley thank you sir oh, um let me put the phd he, on that excuse me sorry my bad I, <laughs> I, I, I did not i did not copy the phd that time um jeff's always like no you have to have a full because he has like tons of letters after his name oh yeah um, <laughs> i think this is uh totally accurate and kyle i think has more knowledge of things uh of such things um and so uh yeah i think this is accurate like Definitely survivor's guilt because he's not thinking of the threat that was Thanos when he freaks out in the first episode. When we, we think about, yeah, when Tony is freaking out in Iron Man three, it's because he's thinking about the char invasion. And I think there's even a flash of like that, that portal that he has to fly through and like his, his near death experience. Um, when Hawkeye freaks out in that first episode and, tur- and turns his hearing aid off, like, it's because he's looking at Black Widow, and I think that survivor's guilt is is totally accurate, as Kyle says. Yeah, I would agree. And and the other piece of his feedback that I do appreciate is we were talking about how poignant that scene with Kate, Nate, and Clint was. But the other scene that is definitely the most memorable scene is when you get to see the arrow enlarged by the pin particles just come crashing down onto the bridge. It was so great to see those kind of special effects uh, thrown in so unexpectedly. We knew he had trick arrows at his disposal. I wasn't expecting anything quite like that. No, I wasn't at all. I, well, I mean, honestly, I wasn't expecting a lot of the things they did. The, mm-hmm. the like weird purple bubble arrow stuff, or like uh, tar, like bubble tar stuff. Yeah, was the, was awesome. The foaming agent, right? That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally wasn't expecting that kind of uh, arrow, and yeah. It's really cool that we got that. And then the Pym arrow was just next level. Yeah. So freaking cool. And then the plunger arrow comes back to save them in the end. Yeah. <laughs> what is this one for? And it just saves, <laughs> saves your butt. Oh, so good. It's just, it's a classic good superhero action sequence writing, like just fun stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Just really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Up next, we got Sean Williamson uh, says, Hey Matt, Ashley and Jeff. Uh, I put Jeff last just to be a jerk, but I love you all equally at 1,000 each. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be sure to pass that along. <laughs> Been a fan since WandaVision. I think you guys have the right balance of fun and seriousness, as well as analysis of what's in the show and speculation. Uh, so thank you for what you do. Hey, thank you very much, Sean. That means a lot. We try to be thoughtful about all that balance stuff. He continues, I'll keep it short. Uh, I love the trick arrows in Hawkeye. Uh, most of the buzz has been around the Pym arrow, and rightfully so, but the USB arrow caught my attention. Uh, do you think it was planned, or was it coincidence that the USB arrow played such a major role in What If, literally saving the multiverse, uh, but at this point in Hawkeye, its use was very 
anticlimactic. <laughs> Any chance it could come back to save Clint and Kate in the finale? Uh, best, Sean and NYC. Help me remember, what was the USB arrows used in this episode? Uh, I am struggling to recall that one as well. I think he might be thinking of the plunger arrow. I know the USB uh, was used in What If for sure. Yeah. Uh, obviously, with the, the Ultron threat, they were trying to use uh, Zola as, an, as a virus to, towards him there, and that was the delivery method. But um, this episode, I do not recall the USB arrow specifically. I wonder. I wonder if it's one of the ones Kate fired, not knowing what it was, and it like not knowing what it was. Sorry, Christmassy. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's not Christmas. That's the. Uh, this is the song that doesn't end. Oh. Like a Christmas song in my brain. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it's one of the ones she fired, not knowing. Because there's one where like, what is she fires it at one of the bad guys and it bounces off his chest. Oh, does that happen? Oh, you yeah. know, you might be right. You might be right. Let me like the, the, the bad guy, like for just a second is like, Oh, like he freaks out. Like he's going to kill him because it's hit about to hit him. In the oh, chest. that's, that's he right. Bounces off. That's so right. That was the USB arrow. It must've been, it must've been. Yeah. I apologize. I couldn't remember no, yeah. that one, but yeah, I, yeah. I doubt it's going to come back to save them. I, I also got to say, I think in live action, a USB arrow has he used it before? Did he do the, Did he do something like that in a? It was the twenty Ultron. I think it was twenty twelve Avengers uh, when he is actually brainwashed by Loki. He fires the one um, into the helicarrier that does uh, oh, some damage. That's right? Yeah, and it goes like he fires it like into the wind, and it turns around and still hits in a USB. Right. Port. Exactly. That's yeah. uh, I I <laughs> that is some of the silliest arrowing I've seen Hawkeye do like it's so <laughs> insane. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You also like the force it's gotta, it's gotta have some like for that to work. My head cannon has to be that it has its own sort of thrusters or something because like you would have to slow it down to the point that it would enter the USB drive without destroying. It. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've broken USB ports by leaning on them before, you know, yeah, I'm a heavy guy, but but arrows that hit with a lot of force. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's got some uh, some little uh, Stark Tech thrusters equipped to those those specialized arrows like that. Yeah, I love the idea of there's there's repulsors on his arrows that are like slowing him down <laughs> yeah. and guiding them into place. Might take away from some of the magic of Hawkeye being the best archer in the world or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I, th I think you're right that more than likely it will not, but there is always a chance if we've learned anything. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a chance. I have a feeling that this U the use of the USB arrow here was a reference to the fact that he had it in the previous movies and maybe a reference to What If as well, um, but I feel like that's probably the last use of it in this series. I don't know, though. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a very common thing he uses. That shot in 2012's Avengers is pretty crazy. <laughs> so, so I don't know if they'll want to do it again. If anything, it's the holiday season. If you need a stocking stuffer, I'm sure Arrow USBs will... Uh, oh, good call. We'll see an uptick there. Yeah. I would want one of those. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's a great gift idea. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, we have a bunch more feedback, but we're not going to be able to get to much more. Uh, we're going to do maybe one more here. Our final piece of feedback today comes from Mio Newman, and they say, Hello. I come to you now with some confusion about the timing of all the series. If it is true that Hawkeye plays out one year after Endgame and Far From Home plays out six months after Endgame and that No Way Home plays out after Spider-Man Far From Home and the Multiverse of Madness plays out after No Way Home, then the multiverse crap, as Doctor Strange put it, should be before or at the same time as Hawkeye and both No Way Home and Hawkeye play out in New York, then they should both acknowledge each other. So I'm a bit confused. Please tell me what you think. Another theory I want to share is that Jack is still innocent and is just protecting his home conveniently with the Ronin sword. All right. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree with that last thing. Uh, I, we, while we were up here, uh, we were getting together in, in human, in person, in human. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that here. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting, getting together in person this week. Uh, someone was taught, we were talking about this, this moment. And I was like, of course he, but like him putting a sword to an intruder in his home has nothing to do with him being a bad guy, right? Like, yeah, he actually was defending his home from an intruder. I mean, we'll find out tonight when the new episode drops, but like, I don't, I just don't think that has anything to do with him being a bad guy. So I am un, my thoughts are unchanged about Jack. I think that he is just a guy whose family, his uncle has some shady stuff going on. He's been rich his whole life. He's probably more similar to Kate than Kate realizes. Um, he, he seems to have some skill with a blade. So like, I think there's still likelihood that he'll, uh, play a role, but I don't think, it, I don't, I just don't see him necessarily as a bad guy. Um, maybe he's like neutral or just sort of a douchebag, but like, I don't know. I think he's just trying to be a, a good, uh, a good stepdad. <laughs> yeah. I can get behind that. I do think that, uh, whether it's protecting his home or protecting something that doesn't necessarily make him innocent per se, he's definitely hiding something. Um, even with Kate being able to like bring out his skills a little bit there. The only thing I would say, you know, in terms of defending your home, he seemed to have the wherewithal to like stri- place himself strategically to have the sword right as Hawkeye is rounding the corner. And, you know. Oh yeah, he he did get the drop on Hawkeye, so he has skills. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think he definitely has a skill set. It's just has he been using that skill set for good or evil? We just don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, or he's just it's just a rich guy doing his own thing. You know, he's like whatever. Kind of like Baron Zemo. Baron Zemo was just like a rich guy who was like a globe trotting guy with clearly lots of skill with a, with a gun. And he, he's an ex, ex soldier, but like he wasn't probably necessarily good or bad before all this. But then it got like, uh, you know, he turned against the Avengers real hard because of what they did. And so, you know, I, I like, maybe he maybe he has potential for either direction i don't know yeah and i had heard it uh, i think it was on the show uh it was the theory was thrown out there that clint might not necessarily have been the first ronin that he might have taken that mantle from someone else and that might be something you know that jack has a vested interest in we know jack himself is an adaptation of uh jacques duquesne from the comics who was the swordsman who actually trained Hawkeye. So whether or not Hawkeye actually knows mm. that this is a figure from his past, it could be, you know, revealed later on. And interesting. Whether or not they are at, at odds or potentially on the same side or they have a little bit of friction and end up on the same side. Yeah, I think it's all all open to possibilities at this point. 
I actually kind of love that idea that like he rounds the corner and then like him and Hawkeye are good old friends. Oh yeah. And then suddenly like it's all thrown in Kate's face that like this isn't the, <laughs> the bad guy you thought it was. That would be so good. <laughs> that would be really good. And it totally fits the vibe of that moment too, because it's like somebody's in my house, sword to the throat. He's got to be good enough to take out Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out like, Oh yeah, he used to work for shield or like he like, he brought me into shield or so, so, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Like this, this guy's a great, he's a great guy. Like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) I already thought, I already thought your uh, theory was tenuous and now it's like, no, it's Jack. It's my good buddy, Jack. That trust we were building up right out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe, maybe she'll trust her motives, but don't trust her. uh, her judgment in that episode he's still like yeah i don't know about this whole candy thing seems, seems tenuous i forget i forget what he says exactly yeah. this is something like seems 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 pretty light yeah. <laughs> on the on the which is why they go there to get more information but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay uh as yeah. for the timing of this versus the timing of multiverse of madness mm. It does seem like some of this should inter- be interacting, but we just don't know what the multiverse is going to look like to these people. For sure. Like that's, that's my main point is like, yes, Spider-Man seems Spider-Man. <laughs> it's, it's that really <laughs> that's weird. not entirely inaccurate though. The way no way home's looking. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man clearly has some battles to fight in New York, but we mm. also don't know if the spell this said is going to leave Hawkeye in the same universe as Spider-Man. You know what I mean? True, like, true. Like Spider-Man could be spun off into his own thing. All of these adventures in no way home could be on some sort of other universe or other plane or other, like it could be that he goes into the multiverse, you know, the multiverse of madness might, n- the majority of it might not happen here. You know, mm-hmm. there might be a battle or two here, kind of like in a infinity war. Like you got those couple people coming in like crashing or whatever at the beginning of the movie, then they're off to space. You know what I mean? Right. Like it could be similar where like the beginning of the movie is, or the beginning of the whole multiverse incursions are these sort of like Spider-Man fights around New York, which, you know, Hawkeye knows Spider-Man lives in New York. He knows all that. Like it wouldn't be shocking to him have, have him having some villain battles that Hawkeye might not have commented on the end of the series yet. Sure. But then maybe he ends up traveling the multiverse and fighting these guys on their own turf or traveling to multiverses where he meets different Spider-Man, different whatever. Like, I think we just don't know how that's all going to play out. So I don't think, I don't think it's a flaw that they don't intersect just yet. This is a story about Hawkeye who is knowing nothing about the multiverse. He's just dealing with his own life and like, I think there is still going to be room for those kinds of stories, even when the multiverse is split open. Yeah, I think you bring up some great points. And I just think with the multiverse, timing is going to be something we are constantly questioning. And, you know, outside of Doctor Strange and uh, in-game a little bit, the real only foray we've gotten into the multiverse so far is Loki. And that's one of the biggest ones that we have questions about how the timeline actually works, especially in um, c- context of something like the TVA. Uh, but the other thing I think is, you know, just him bringing up multiverse of madness, multiverse of madness, all these movies in um, context of multiverse of madness, they could kind of harken back to phase one where what if did a great job of, of highlighting the fact that we had 
Thor, Iron Man 2, and uh, the end of Captain America, or excuse me, Captain America, the first Avenger, all take place within the same week there. So, you know, we're thinking multiverse of madness. I'm, I'm thinking there could be the potential that in the beginning of the movie, it could just be that Wanda's fallout, the Spider-Man stuff, uh, potentially Mordo rearing his head again could all happen at the same time for Dr. Strange. And it could be, you know, him just being completely overwhelmed with everything happening all at, all at once. And that's why the multiverse of madness is be able, is able to get to that point of madness is because he's not able to contain it. Not only do his own actions in no way, uh, no way home, but just everything else I mentioned. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this thing is like, we've had this happen before, like you, like you mentioned with uh, Fury's Big Week, mm-hmm. and like those movies don't—they re- barely reference each other. You know what I mean? There right. may be references in Hawkeye that we don't even know are there yet, sure. because we don't know what's going to happen in No Way Home. You know? True. So I'm just excited. No Way Home comes out in like a week. We were supposed to do, and we're still we're still going to try this week. We got like ten days left, I think, to try to knock out our Bingers Assemble series on the Spider Man movies. So uh, mm-hmm. we had we had a lot of stuff come up, and this trip in the middle of it all, uh, and so we have not gotten to our first uh, Spider Man movie. But after after tonight's Hawkeye, we might have a couple days to try to knock a few of those out. Well, to quote the first one, I will say, "Godspeed, Spider Man." <laughs> <laughs> Jay Scotty, thank you for joining us yeah. on the MCU cast. Of I wish course. we had time to do even more feedback. We yeah. do have more, but uh, I think we're going to have to cut it there so I can get this uploaded. Of course. So people can hear it before the episode drops. Um, so tell, tell the folks about what, uh, what you do, my friend. Yeah, I uh, host the podcast Animation Deliberation for the Stranded Panda Network. We are the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. So it's myself and my co-host, Zuhair Ali. Every week we uh, discuss you know, the latest and greatest action animated series. So uh, we just covered Hitmonkey that debuted on Hulu. That was a lot of fun. And we are doing our weekly coverage for Season 4 of Young Justice, which always gets a lot of love. So uh, if you've got interest in anything in the action um, animation wheelhouse check us out animation deliberation wherever you get your podcasts and always appreciate it. let me uh get on to let people know about it absolutely man uh really appreciate you uh all you do for the network and uh all the all you've been helping out with us a lot uh lately with all the busyness of me jeff and ash and the crazy amounts of content so appreciate you hopping in when when we when we call appreciate of you so much who are you gonna call um, jay scotty <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we will be back soon. Uh, actually, probably when, in less than 24 hours, we'll be dropping an episode about Hawkeye episode four. Um, and I, because I'm still in a hotel, the, the reason I couldn't uh, participate last week was I was in a hotel and the internet was bad. So I got to this new hotel and I was like, I'm hoping they'll have better internet. They have the, literally the same internet. It's like <laughs> across the street and they're using like the same internet. Oh, no, no, it's, it's not good. I don't, I don't think we're going to be able, I'm, yeah, I have not figured out how to get on a, a zoom call here, Oh no! but may, maybe, maybe I can figure it out by tonight. I'm going to try. All right. Either way, Jeff and Fox and Melissa and possibly Jay Scotty will be there. Um, so we'll see you guys very, very soon. Peace. Until next time. True believers. Yeah. 
Thank you for joining us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Available everywhere you get podcasts, and now a video version streaming live on twitch.tv slash strandedpandatv and available at youtube.com slash strandedpanda. And if you'd like to learn more about all of our other podcasts, geeky projects, and ways to support the network, visit strandedpanda.com.